Today, as we continue our discovery of how to live and love like Jesus, we're going to look at one of the more famous moments in Jesus' life, the miraculous feeding of a multitude. This miracle is recorded in all four Gospels. It's the only other event other than Jesus' death and resurrection that is captured by all four accounts of His life. Each author gives a unique perspective that kind of fills in the full picture of what happened in this moment. I liken the four Gospels as to four people who, who went to see the same movie or sporting event. And when they return, they, they share what they experienced from their perspective. And it kind of gives a full picture of what actually happens. We're going to read today from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, if you want to turn there with me. And I'll sprinkle in some of the details that are found in the other three Gospels. Listen to what John chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 says. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed Him because they saw the signs He had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and He sat down with His disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. John's purpose in writing his gospel was much more theological than chronological. So he doesn't really organize the events in the same sequential order or doesn't give the same clues about the timing of this moment. Matthew and Mark share that right before this moment, John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod Antipas. Now John was the cousin of Jesus and the forerunner that claimed Jesus as the Messiah. And Matthew writes that Jesus withdrew to a solitary place, and I assume it was so that he could grieve and mourn, even process the loss of John. Mark and Luke place this moment in the life of Jesus right after Jesus sends out the 12 disciples on their first missionary journey. They had been spreading the good news and healing the sick, and they returned to Jesus so excited to tell Him all that they had experienced. And so uh, they record that Jesus took His disciples to a, a, a far place so that they could process it and so that they could also rest. John says that Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, and that was a barren place, kind of like a wilderness. All four gospel accounts mention that a large crowd who had witnessed the miracles of Jesus, they ended up showing up where Jesus and His disciples were. They came there just to, to see Jesus and probably look for more miracles. Have you ever tried to find some peace and quiet, ever needed some, or, or feel like you can't get away? In the 80s and 90s, there was a great commercial that said, Calgon, take me away. I've seen lots of social media posts from moms who've locked themselves in the bathroom just to have a little peace and quiet in this moment where everyone is trapped at home and practicing social distancing and lots of responsibilities within the home. You know, Jesus' reaction in this moment is one of those moments where we can take away how to live and love like Him. Despite his plans for rest, his need to process, even his desire to be alone with his friends, those were all uh, disrupted. Matthew 14 verse 14 says that Jesus had compassion on the people. Luke chapter 9 verse 11 says that Jesus welcomed them and spoke about the kingdom of God to them, and he healed those who were needing healing. And then in Mark chapter 6 verse 34 it says Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What a picture of Jesus' heart. It's a picture of Him fulfilling the role of Good Shepherd. Most of us are familiar with the picture that David draws in Psalm 23. But I'd like for you to listen to the words of the prophet Ezekiel, who contrasts the leaders of the people of Israel with God Himself as their shepherd. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 34. Listen to what the Word of the Lord says. The Word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourself. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they were scattered because there was no food, and they became food for wild animals. My sheep wandered over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Verse 11, Ezekiel says this, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from the places where they are, scattered on after the days of clouds of darkness. I will bring them out of the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on mountains of Israel, on the ravines, in the ravines, and the settlements in the land. I will send them into a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing, and there they will uh, feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Lord, sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Many see this moment in Jesus' life as a fulfillment of this prophecy. The people are on a mountain. There's plenty of grass, according to Matthew, Mark, and John, and all are being fed. It's near the Passover feast, which means it's in the springtime. You know, how do you respond when your plans are interrupted? When your quest for peace and quiet is thwarted? Maybe when you need a break from people but can't get one? Well, those needs and desires are not wrong. I mean, Jesus practiced solitude and, and uh, regularly, and He was successful in evading the crowds at times. But His compassion and His care never superseded His own needs, which is what we witness happening next. Jesus has compassion on the people, and He's concerned about their need for food. The other three Gospels state that Jesus' disciples came to Him with this concern first. They recognized they were in a deserted area with no place for lodging or food or gas for their donkey. I wonder if gas prices were as low then in the Middle East as they are now. The disciples' solution was to send them away so that they could kind of feed themselves. But John records that Jesus had a different solution. He's the only one who records that Jesus is the one who takes initiative. All four Gospels record that Jesus asked His followers to care for the people. Look what happens next in John chapter 6, now in verse 5 and 6. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward Him, He said to Philip, Where should we buy food for all these people? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Much to my chagrin in this moment, I get my name from this person in the Bible named Philip. Jesus asked Philip to help first in this moment because he was from Bethsaida and would have been familiar of the places where they could have gotten food. Whether or not he knew a good caterer or a great place to take out food to feed the masses, Philip quickly calculated the financial impact that feeding this many people would have, and he protested. It's never a good idea to do math in public, but I think his calculations were pretty accurate. 
Philip says that to feed this many people would have taken eight months wages. That equals 200 denarii. Now, a denarii in the ancient world was worth one day's wages. It's probably equivalent to about $2 in our world today. But the cost to feed this many people, if it was today's equivalent, would be about $14,000. Now, that's quite a chunk of change back then and now today. But notice what John captured about this moment. Did you see it there in verse 6? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I stopped there for a moment this past week in my study, and I, I wanted to know why Jesus tested Philip. I had to revisit the difference between tempting and testing. James 1 reminds us that God does not tempt us, but He does allow our faith to be tested so that our faith will have perseverance. It would be developed. It would become mature and complete. And He also mentions that if we lack wisdom in these moments of testing, we should ask our generous God who gives without finding fault. That leads me to a first discussion question I want to encourage you to talk about as a family or, or if you're watching and worshiping with us today by yourself, I'd encourage you to take out a journal and, and write about this. Maybe even text a friend or, or post your thoughts in a chat. Here's the question. How do you sense your faith being strengthened by this season of testing due to COVID-19? Or have you had another season of testing that produced a stronger faith in your life? Talk about that for just a few minutes. This was a growing moment for Philip, but not just for him. Look what happens next. John chapter 6, verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a little boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how, how far will they go among so many? 
Andrew is actually where I get my middle name, and he also had a solution, but he recognized that it was more than likely insufficient to solve the crisis at hand. John is the only one who records that it was a small boy's lunch that was the source of these five loaves and two fish. John tells us that this boy had barley loaves. Barley loaves were the food of the poor. It was cheap bread. This small meal was a common meal that was packed for a day as a person would maybe travel into the hills. It was an afternoon meal, some small bread cakes and some fish that were either dried out or even pickled for taste. It was a daily staple. Some believe that Andrew was probably from this same area of Bethsaida, and he might have even known this young boy whose lunch was being offered to Jesus. It was obviously insufficient to feed anyone other than this boy except Jesus was involved. Just like water was turned to wine and the lame legs were restored, the sick had been healed, Jesus was about to demonstrate His power again, and it would be another sign of His deity. One of the Hebrew names for God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh, which means, my God will provide. One of the first mentions of that is Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham is ready to sacrifice his son Isaac, and God provides a ram that's caught in the thicket. Jesus was displaying the same care and capability as provider in this moment. The focus is not on the miracle itself, but on the one who worked it. Let's see what happens in John chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, and about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave things, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Without knowing how or what was going to happen, the disciples obeyed. The people followed instructions, and Jesus performed a miracle, whether they initially recognized it or not. This moment has all kinds of Old Testament hyperlinks and messianic fulfillments all over it. It's another one of those moments where we see proof that Jesus is deity. He truly is fully God. I mean, first of all, these people are assembled on a mountain. They're in the desert. There's food that's provided from heaven like manna. And the people immediately thought back to the Old Testament moment where the people of Israel had wandered in the wilderness and God had provided food. We've already mentioned this strong good shepherd theme that's found in Ezekiel. People sat down in groups of 50 and 100. And this kind of recalls the same mosaic order as the camp that was set up in the desert. It also reminds you and me of social distancing. Jesus gave thanks. He probably gave a a traditional Jewish prayer that was given before and after meals. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. It reminds us of Jesus' prayer when he says, give us today our daily bread. I think it's interesting to notice that, that Jesus gives thanks to God and he blesses God, not the food. Had a pastor friend who said, God can do miracles, but it would take a lot for him to turn a Big Mac, supersized fries, and a large chocolate shake into a nourishing meal. When we pray before we eat, we teach ourselves gratitude and also dependence on God. Some see the Passover meal and even the institution of the the Lord's Supper with Jesus taking bread, breaking it, distributing it to others for them to eat. 
The people who were there that day were satisfied. All four gospel accounts record that that they had their fill, that they were satisfied in what they received. Old Testament prophecies draw a picture of the restoration and kingdom that Messiah would bring as a bountiful banquet. Jesus used the picture of a banquet where all are invited to come and eat and to be filled as a picture of the kingdom of God. And Jesus as provider, He brings peace. He brings joy. He brings satisfaction. We are filled and overflowing. That's what uh, John records, that there were 12 baskets left over. And this could resemble the 12 tribes of Israel. Leftovers. I mean, that's every child's worst dreaded response to what's for dinner tonight, right? Well, collecting what was left over after a meal was actually a common Jewish custom. Daily attire in the ancient world also included a a small wicker basket that people would wear and they would place scraps, especially of bread, left over from a meal in there so that they could enjoy that on a long journey or throughout the rest of the day. This again speaks of the lavishness of God in providing for the needs of His people. There was more at the end than was available at the beginning. Those present were numbered by all four Gospels as 5,000 men. And it didn't include women or children. Most scholars estimate that there could have been more between 10,000 and 20,000 people gathered that day. Now, I think that could be a preacher count, but everyone who was there noticed the miracle. Look at verses 14 and 15. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The people were amazed at what had happened, and they began to proclaim, This is the prophet that was promised. Deuteronomy 18 had promised that there would be a prophet like Moses who would come. Remember in John chapter 1, people asked John the Baptist if he was the prophet. And the woman at the well, she wondered if Jesus maybe was the prophet. I'm sure you can see from the similarities that we've already discussed why people might think that. There's also a couple other similarities. In 1 Kings chapter 17, it's recorded that Elijah performed a miracle for the widow at Zarephath, that she had oil and flour that never ran dry. 2 Kings chapter 4 speaks of a miracle where Elisha, the prophet of God, fed a hundred people using 20 loaves. And it's noted there that these 20 loaves were sorely inadequate. The people there fed by Jesus that day, they made associations with the Messiah and a conquering king who would bring deliverance from their enemies. And their greatest enemy at that time was Rome. You know, the devil had tempted Jesus to use his power for his own needs, to make bread from stones, to become powerful in the eyes of the people and and gather a large following, and also to take a shortcut to having a kingdom without the cross. When Jesus began sharing his mission from God with, with the disciples, and that it included dying, Peter confronted Jesus and he vowed to prevent it. Jesus responded to him in Matthew 16, 23, "'Get behind me, Satan!' You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus tells Pilate right before he's executed, My kingdom is not of this world. I think in this moment, the crowds felt like that same voice of Satan tempting Jesus again. These people did not have the things of God in mind either. They wanted more bread. They wanted a king who would deliver them from the oppression of Rome. 
Jesus' identity, his power, and his purpose was much more focused on the things of God, and so he slipped away into a mountain to be by himself. At the height of Jesus' public ministry, the largest crowd witnessing this powerful display of his power, Jesus again remained focused on God and his mission. Jesus is our provider. He cares about our physical needs. He's capable to meet our needs, even when we feel like the resources are limited and we're unsure of how He will do it. Through faith, we can find true life in Jesus and be satisfied in Him. Which leads me to another discussion question. I want you to think about this. To whom do you relate the most in this account? Philip, Andrew, the boy, or a person who was fed in the crowd that day? And make sure you tell your, your family members and those you discuss this with why. Philip, Andrew, and the other disciples had the right heart, but they just lacked enough faith. They had been taught by Jesus to care for others. They had just returned from this teaching and healing trip where Jesus had taught them how to live and love like Him. Jesus had instructed them not to worry about where they would sleep or what they would eat, and they had experienced God's provisions on that journey. They just needed to keep trusting and exercising their faith muscle and believing that Jesus had a plan. Matthew 17, verse 20, Jesus says this, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus wanted His followers and those in the crowd to know that He cares, that He's capable, and that He's trustworthy as provider. Paul prayed the same thing for the Ephesian believers. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 3. It's a prayer. 
Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled in the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that's at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What a powerful picture of Jesus as provider. If you're currently facing financial challenges due to job loss or job shortage, Jesus cares and is capable. If you're facing anxiety and fear due to stress about all this COVID-19, Jesus cares and is capable. If you're facing some physical illness, Jesus cares and is capable. Philippians 4.19 says this, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Trust Jesus as provider, even if you feel you have just a little bit of faith. If you feel like the boy that's in the crowd who who seems to only have enough for himself, when he gave it all to Jesus, many were filled and satisfied. He trusted Jesus for his lunch, just like everybody else. Philip, Andrew, and the boy were all uncomfortable and realizing their inadequacies, but they let Jesus help. And Jesus thanked God for what they could contribute. He multiplied it. He's really good at that. Tim Keller says this, The gospel is the might of God through Christ connected with our helplessness so that we become both the objects of and channels for the power of God. You know, we see that happening right now during this COVID-19 situation as people of God respond in faith to the needs of those in our church and community. And we're hearing lots of stories of how Jesus is multiplying what people contribute so that people's needs would be met. We've heard a story about a young family whose who's breadwinner was uh, lost their job, and so they needed a new refrigerator. Their old one had gone out. And so because of the funds through the response fund, we were able to meet that need and to do that in the name of Jesus. We heard another story about a young mom who was needing some, some goods for her young child and posted this need on the needaneighbor.org platform. And a young mom from our church heard about this need, immediately posted on Facebook to a group of 16 young moms who all responded that within two hours, every need that this young mom had. I want to encourage you, even if you feel like you just have a little bit to share, just like that young boy that day where Jesus took his small meal and he multiplied it, and he, he ministered to many. I want to encourage you to keep giving, keep serving, keep loving like Jesus, so that, so that many needs would be met. Jesus is provider. He promises to meet our needs, and he's proven his care and capability through his miracles. These are signs of his love, his compassion, his power, and his mission. As provider, He's not only committed to meeting our physical needs, but He met our spiritual need of a Savior as well. Romans 8 verse 32 says this, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? We are all poor, hopeless, helpless, and woefully inadequate on our own. Jesus, the provider, takes whatever little we offer out of faith, And he turns it into a feast, ushering the kingdom of God both in us and through us. Let's pray together. 
God, thank you for sending Jesus to show us your heart, to give us a picture of, of your power, to show us your mission and how to live like you, how to love like you. And God, I'm grateful for this moment that all four Gospels record it. It's such a display of Jesus' deity, of his, of his compassion and of his power. God, I pray that with just a little bit of faith, we might be able to muster up, just like the size of a mustard seed. God, I pray that you would multiply what we offer you, our lives, our hearts, our, our money, our resources, the things that you've blessed us with, God. We offer them to you because we trust you as provider. We trust you to meet our needs. We also trust you to work through us to meet the needs of others. And God, I pray that as that happens, our faith would grow. We'd become mature. We'd be complete. In the testing of our faith, God, we would come through strong, purified like, like gold. And God, I pray that because of that, we would even more be plugged into your mission here on earth. That through the way we meet the needs of others, they would come to not only know you as provider, but Savior. And God, I thank you for sending Jesus who not only meets our physical needs, but met our greatest spiritual need, the, the need of a Savior. Because we have Him as Savior and Lord in our life, God, we have hope. We have peace. God, we have joy. We have purpose. And God, we have life. And it's in Him we pray right now. Amen.